a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Liz and Matt. And we had talked about doing this. We're a little bit late on it, but I hope you forgive us. We just passed the fifth anniversary of The Force Awakens being released into movie theaters, um, which seems like a million years ago, but it also seems like... uh, just yesterday in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so we thought it would be a good opportunity to revisit the film, sort of taking it in in the light of Rise of Skywalker and talk about it um, a little bit there. So before we get into our, our sort of positions on the film now, um, Liz, let me start with you. Initially, when you first saw The Force Awakens, what did you think of it? I I loved the movie when I first saw it. I think I was just so excited to have another Star Wars movie. Um, that was part of it. But I really loved The Force Awakens when I first saw it. Matt, what about you? I was I was apprehensive, but I really enjoyed it. I mean, I saw it at least three or four times in the theater, and I hadn't seen a movie multiple times in the theater in a long, long time. Um, I was just really excited to get something new in the star Wars universe. So it was, it it was well, well, um, received. And, uh, I, 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 there were a couple of parts about it that I, I had apprehension about even when I first saw it, but almost all of that was eliminated by the goodwill that the film in, you know, that the film sort of built up over its runtime, there were a lot of really, really wonderful moments. I think it did such a good job of getting me excited for these characters that I didn't know mm-hmm. before. Um, yeah, it was just it was it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I think I saw it four times in the theater as well, um, mm-hmm. or something along those lines. I am I pretty much don't go to movies more than once unless it's a Star Wars movie, and then I go many times. Um, <laughs> that's just sort of how my movie-going uh, life happens. Liz, did you see it multiple times in the theater? I did. I definitely saw it three or four times. I'm not sure exactly how many. Yeah, we, we are kin. We are. Uh, we we are all. <laughs> we are. We're all cut from the same cloth when it comes to that yeah. sort of stuff. And um, I remember liking it more and more every time I saw it, mm-hmm. as opposed to the last one that was in theaters where every time I saw it, I kept getting more and more angry. Well, I, I want to talk about the rise of Skywalker in light of this in a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I sort of thought a good way to, to structure this would be to talk about the film almost chronologically and just sort of talk about like the big beats of each sort of chapter in the film. And then, talk about the film in light of the the last jedi and the rise of skywalker okay Uh, but before that was there anything that stood out to you guys again not like in a metatextual way based on the subsequent films but watching the film this week for the first time in in at least in a little while for me was there anything that stood out to you guys that you didn't realize or recognize the first however many times you saw it 
I feel like I noticed a few small, maybe details. Um, maybe I, I, I felt like I could sort of take a step back. I feel like the first, you know, three, four, five, six times <laughs> I saw it, it was almost more of an emotional viewing. And like Matt said, I, I think, you know, I was, I liked this movie more um, each time I saw it. Cause I think I was, so enamored with trying to figure out who these new characters were, where they were going. Um, it, so I feel like it, the new things that stood out were maybe just small things. Um, like, I, I feel like most people don't call Ray Ray or call her by any name at all. They call her the girl a lot of times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, like, I don't think Kylo Ren calls her by, you know, any, it just calls her the girl. He, um, might, he I, may not even know her name, actually. I don't think he does. And yeah, he has no interest in learning it either. Mm -hmm. Matt, what about you? Anything that you picked yeah. up on this, this viewing? Well, I think it's a little hard to separate it from the other movies, but I think just rewatching it, how little of the plot really makes sense internally. And I don't know if that is, it was written so open-endedly that the other movies were supposed to finish off what it started, or if it's just really a messy film. Um, I mean, the whole film is, I didn't realize this until re the rewatch. The whole film is based on the idea that as Luke Skywalker disappears, the first order then springs out of the darkness. And then there's never really any explanation as to the relationship between the first order and Luke Skywalker and why they're looking for him, and why it would hinge on a map that they have three quarters of the pieces to already. Like, the MacGuffin just doesn't really fly if you look at it too hard. Um, and I think that maybe after now being a little bit more critical about the series, looking at it with that critical eye it just doesn't add up in the way that I think that I just gave it credit for earlier on. So, yeah. Again, overly critical, but still like watching it, not knowing what the hell's going on. I yeah. kind of assumed it was more of a Kylo Ren personal vendetta against Luke Skywalker. Yeah, the the first order in general is unclear as to, and I know we're expected to do our homework and figure out how it came together in the aftermath trilogy, but their existence is confusing. Um, their funding is wildly not understood. Their purpose is just, I guess, general Nazism. I don't like a lot of it is just you're just to assume that, oh, it's just the Empire again. Don't worry about it. Oh, they're even worse. Don't worry about it. But yeah, it doesn't really like, OK, yeah, yeah. There, there were a couple of things along along those lines that I picked up on as well. I had a conversation with my friend Greg Matasevich actually on the show a few weeks ago, um, and we were talking about these movies and. One of my big problems that, that sprung out of my talk with, with Greg was how I, I feel like the First Order... So if we're to understand the First Order correctly, they're essentially a terrorist group, right? Like They are, they are this, rev, this reactionary group of revolutionaries who, for whatever reason, feel that the you know, Republic needs to fall and to bring back the glory days of the empire in this new first order. But yeah. I don't understand how the first order is, has amassed so much power. Like it, when, when the force awakens opens, yes, they have star destroyers and they have, you know, ships and weapons and all of that. 
but there is still a galactic senate and a republic and it seems like everybody just kind of has accepted the fact that that they're okay like okay well there's gonna be a first order and that's you know we can't do anything about that it's just the it's just the way it is and <laughs> some of the ancillary material the books and all of that have talked about how essentially um just cowardly the republic has become but i don't really think that's how governments work like but i don't I... <laughs> I don't think places are overthrown through lethargy like i, I think it's usually yeah. much more violent than that and then the the sort of the flip side of that is it's it's sort of stated that like you said that once luke skywalker disappeared it allowed the first order to grow was luke basically like the sheriff of the galaxy because that doesn't seem like anything we've seen a jedi do no. before no. especially nor nor does the emperor fear him in that way right i don't yeah and that the, also part of the problem with star wars is just the law of numbers and the idea that the republic is tens of thousands of planets including huge military mites such as um, Moncala and Corellia. But any of those systems should be able to stand up to this weird fringe group of assholes from the outer reaches. Right. And, and like, then... and, and even we keep adding in more people like um, the, is it the Crean shoot? Whatever Thrawn's people, like they, would kick the ass of the first order. Like anyone would. They're a ragtag bunch of skinheads. Um but, but he, somehow are able to rule the galaxy because they're just evil and evil somehow always has a foothold in the Star Wars universe in a way that, you know, we just have to accept. Well here's the problem, right? It is that I think that for storytelling purposes, J.J. Abrams decided that the rebellion needed to be the the good guys needed to be the underdogs again, and so because of that, there's this whole like bullshit line of their resistance. They're not republic, and like mm -hmm. the resistance is supposedly like the the radical wing of the republic. But that's not again. That's not how government works. Like there is, you know, like are, are they the Navy SEALs? Are they the CIA? Are are they like who the fuck knows? It's just it's very very unclear. And yeah, um, that's a, they 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 end up having like a, a dozen ships by the end of the film. You're like really, like the the whole Republic is just done. Like I I get that a system is wiped out, and that's horrible and that's terrifying. And it's never really addressed. Um, but hey, that's Star Wars. But there's other ships in the galaxy. Yeah, and it's because... also like, yeah, I, I believe that that's supposed to be like the the Senate, the the seat of the Senate. But just think about it. Just like, just put it in U.S. terms for a second. If there is a if there is a nuclear bomb that went off in Washington D.C., it wouldn't stop federal government. Even if every member of the federal government died, there are like there are plans in place for that, right? Like. Mm -hmm. There's just there there there's safety measures, and it just seems to me that it's absolutely insane that Star Wars thinks that there'd be a government, an intergalactic government that didn't have like plans of succession. It just seems nuts to me. Yeah, and he, and here's something that makes me angry 
watching it um, is the, I guess, and this is something, it's not going to ruin anything out of our further conversations, but the idea that the First Order is supposed to be these, like, fanatics, these, you know, true believers. But we see Phasma give up Starkiller base in the drop of a hat. Right. And we see just random nobody Imperials in the Mandalorian being the real true believers. So here is my, the, you know, Matt Ligori theory of things. The First Order are really fanatical believers in the Emperor. And, you know, whether you're talking about Snoke as his mouthpiece, or you're talking about the Emperor, you're talking about the Sith Council, whatever, I think they are Emperor-focused, where the Imperial offshoots are much more Tarkin focus and not necessarily in Tarkin himself, but the Tarkin directive in believing that power comes through order, not power comes through empire with a big E. Right. And maybe that's my just way to try and rationalize it, but it makes no sense. These guys just look like jokes compared to what else we keep seeing. So yeah, it, 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 they're, they're basically the first order people are like, are like a cult of personality where yeah. they're following somebody. Whereas the, the imps are more, um, they're, they more believe in a system. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Which makes them scarier in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that, but they're not the ones with the big guns. So, you know, Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Anything else we want to we want to touch on from our, our our most recent viewing before we go into sort of the beats of the film? Nope. Liz. Nope. All right. So um, I want to talk about the opening scene here, which is uh, takes place on Jakku, and it's when we see uh, Poe being given the the map to Luke Skywalker. And I've I've been told by a few people that it that it's absolutely poetic that the first line in the film is this will begin to make things right, like sort of <laughs> apologizing for the state of Star Wars that it was left in, um, which I I think is was clever and fun when I first saw it, but seeing the state that J.J. Abrams left it in now, I would argue <laughs> it's maybe in worse shape than it ever was. And so, fuck you, J.J.? Like, it's... Uh, it's Thanks a lot, yeah, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Things of irony. It just, you know... Ugh. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the first scene that we get, I, I think we get a pretty good sense of who Poe is. And that, that's one thing I have to say uh, about this film, and specifically the screenplay to this film. I think it does an excellent job in giving you a lot of information about these characters in very little time. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. you agree, Liz? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say about this opening scene. I feel like we get so much info about just all these characters, Poe, Kylo Ren, you know, Finn, BB-8, all of these characters right away. Yeah, it's it's really... And we should, we should note that um, the film was uh, co-written by Lawrence Kasdan, who... Uh, was one of the major uh, script doctors on the original trilogy. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of stuff that you can point to in these films, in this film rather. He he also co-wrote the screenplay to Solo with his son, Jake Kasdan. Uh, but you can point to a lot of things in this film that I think 
if if you've seen a lot of Lawrence Kasdan films, you can sort of say, oh, that's that's maybe one of his touches in there, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but overall, uh, yes, this opening scene gives a lot of information, and it really leads well into the first act. I actually think the first act of this film might be its strongest because we get, again, the first scene we get with Ray, we understand who Ray is almost instantly. Mm-hmm. We see her kindness to BB-8. We see her sort of tenacity and, um, you know, just skill in in being a, a um, what do they call her? She's not a, she's a... Uh, scavenger? Scavenger, yeah. Scavenger. Yeah. And, um, you know, we get to see Finn, sort of the beginning stages of Finn, you know, believing in something other than the First Order. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there, there's a lot. There's a lot to like in this first act. I think it also does a really good job, as evidenced by the fact that I tried to watch this with Ben, my son, and Ben was so scared by Kylo Ren he didn't want to keep watching it. Um, and so I, I feel like Kylo Ren is is a very effective villain in this. The um, I'm blanking on the character's name. The character who gives Poe the map. Um, oh. It's oh, uh, it, Max von Sydow plays him. Yes, it's Max von Sydow's part. Um, but the way that he just like mows him down with his lightsaber mm-hmm. is really jarring when you're not expecting that to happen. And not that we should be surprised, but just I feel like, and we've we see Vader in his first appearance kill somebody, but he does it through a force choke, which seems just like a little bit less. Like Kylo Ren uh, is so much just a a ball of emotion, yeah. In this he's film, wild and unpredictable, mm-hmm. which makes yes. him terrifying. Yes, exactly. Um, and you get all of that really, and you you also see it like on on the ship when he's dealing with Hux, and you just see the unpredictability of Kylo Ren, and it's it's very very good. Um, we then see. Um, Ray and Finn meet up after Finn and Poe escape, and Finn thinks Poe dead. They, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, all of that gets shot out of his jacket. He's got to be dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's it, it's certainly a. Uh, I don't know how he could have been thrown from the ship, and Finn wouldn't have found him. But you know, <laughs> I know. Again. <laughs> Like it's it's Star Wars physics, right? It's 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 fine. Whatever, yeah. man. I'm cool. Yeah, um, I, I like it was like like Poe was supposed to die at that scene. It was like you know, write one scene, then the other, and you can't go back to it. What are you talking about? That's not yeah. the way that stories work. Well, J.J. Abrams is also like he's that. That's a J.J. Abrams trope. I know Liz mm-hmm. was a Lost fan as well. There was oh, talk yeah. when Lost was written. There's a part of the of the pilot who's played by Greg Grunberg, who plays Snap Wexley in this film. But the pilot was originally, they would consider Michael Keaton for the role mm-hmm. because he dies in the in the pilot episode. The pilot dies in the pilot. Um, mm-hmm. And they wanted to do something where they basically tricked the audience where you think Michael Keaton's the star of the show and then, like, nope, he's dead in the first episode. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the idea of killing off Poe Dameron in the beginning of the film would serve the same the same function as that. Um, mm-hmm. but, but thank goodness they didn't do that. Um, because Poe is a fun character. 
Oh yeah, and and Poe especially in the Last Jedi, I really I think it was a very compelling character. Um, but yeah, so um, Ray and Finn meet up. They are being chased by First Order folks. They have to pilot the Millennium Falcon, and they go off into space. Um, any thoughts on this first act before we move on? It's enjoyable. It is. Yeah, I yeah, it's probably I I agree with you. Probably the most fun of the acts of the film. Yeah, I I always yeah. go back to when Finn keeps grabbing Ray's hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I try to think back to movies I've obviously enjoyed over time. Like I feel like Indiana Jones is always grabbing a girl's hand mm-hmm. um, when you know they're in peril. And I try to think back to movies like that. But I I like that. Um, and the joke about the Millennium Falcon kills me every time. <laughs> but about being garbage, garbage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> garbage will <Yeah>. do. <laughs> garbage I, I don't really get. I don't get the math behind what a portion is. I get like. <laughs> Is it one quarter of what a person can eat a day? Because Ray has a whole meal out of it. And if it doesn't offer her 280 of them for the draw, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Seems arbitrary. Yeah. It does. it does. Yeah. I do want to eat that blue bread, though. I know we have a recipe for something similar to it. Yes. That we'll enjoy. Yeah, we really needed to uh, get that in-person cookbook out before uh, <laughs> this whole <laughs> pandemic struck, huh? Well... <laughs> You know, blame, I don't know, everything, everybody. Um, it is sitting on my, I'm looking at the cookbook right now. Yeah. It's sitting on my yeah. desk. We will, we will make yeah. this happen. See uh, future episode. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so at this point, th- this is to me where the, the film starts to show its, uh, its problems a little bit. And that's in the first time we see Han Solo and Chewbacca show up again. And look, look, I love those characters. I'm very glad that they're back. But I think that there's a, um, I think that the, the the film just decides to be a little bit too precious with those characters at times. And I also think that th- there are some really bad bits of dialogue given to Han Solo in particular here. Like he says at one point, and I wrote this down in my notes when he's looking at the Millennium Falcon. For the first time, he says to Ray, some moof milker put something on the something. Like, right? It's so bad. It's a really terrible piece of dialogue. And it's like, yeah. if you've watched any Star Wars <laughs> film, that is not something Han Solo would ever say. No. Even yeah, the, like, even the Chewie were home, like, that line even somewhat rankles me as not something Han Solo would really say. No, I agree. And I, I feel like that point in the movie, I should have when I even remember when I first saw it, I felt like I should have felt more or felt better about seeing these characters on screen again. But I, I couldn't muster it up. And yeah, I think it's the, the dialogue or something. It's just so clunky and yeah. out of character. And again, there. There's there's so much could be something charming about an older Han Solo, but not just like a clunky, like old Harrison Ford pretending to be 1970s Han Solo. I think that's the problem too. 
But was like, he even trying to be like old Han Solo? He wasn't, though. I know. He's never seen the movies. He doesn't know. Yeah, I know. He doesn't remember. <laughs> like, it, it, it just, it's not, I don't know. There, there's no differentiation between the two characters. In a way that Leia does, Leia seems like an older, wiser, sadder yeah. Leia. And he Luke just is a confused old man. Luke absolutely yeah. has grown mm-hmm. in that in that yeah. time. I do have to say, my favorite part, though, is Chewie. Two things. One, do you assume, then, a bunch of other people are named Han Solo after General Han Solo? When she's like, oh, you're that Han Solo? (laughs) I wonder if that became a popular name in the galaxy after, (laughs) you know, called the Empire. And also, when when they asked, she was like, wait, he's the the general, the hero of the war? And he's like, "Mm." Yeah. I, I made note of how Ray seems like incredulous or just filled with wonder whenever it, people mention anyone famous. She's like, Luke Skywalker? Han Solo? Mm-hmm. Like, she recognizes all of these people, but, you know, it's just sort of this sense of, like, wonder and innocence they try to add to her character or something. Yeah. I mean, all, all the stories she heard on Jakku from the <laughs> non basic speaking monsters that she rubs sand off with. I don't know. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. I do think that the Han Solo part gets better as the film goes on. I think mm-hmm. there there are there are better parts of it, but there's all there are parts throughout the entire movie where the dialogue is really bad. And I have to say, unlike Return of the Jedi, where you can basically see Harrison Ford balancing his checkbook on screen, like he's just so bored in Return of the Jedi, I don't think this is Harrison Ford's fault. I think Harrison Ford was giving this as much of a Harrison Ford try as he's able to muster in the 21st century. <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah. He, he is really attempting something here. It doesn't always work, but he's attempting something. Yeah. Get off my Millennium Falcon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember seeing him on... I want to say it's Jimmy Kimmel because that's owned by because ABC's owned by Disney and Corporate Synergy. Maybe it was somebody else, but he was promoting this film. You know, he hates promoting any film. He's he's mm. like the world's worst interview. But in the interview, he said like, "Just so you know, this one's really good," and it seemed like he meant it. And it was it was a rare bit of just like. Um, mm honesty from Harrison Ford who usually promotes a film and says like I don't know see it or don't whatever I have an earring now I married to Calista Flockhart like you know he just he doesn't really seem to give a shit but he seemed genuinely invested in this and Aww. that's interesting to me for a few reasons but but yeah th- this initial scene with Han Solo I-, I I feel like they just they forget who he is like 
Chewie asks him what he's going to do, or somebody asks him what he's going to do, and he says, I'm going to do what I always do, talk my way out of it. I feel like that's an accurate assessment of who Han Solo is, but he does not have the self-awareness to say that. Yeah. He say, like, I'll get us out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, then, and then we lean back on to stereotype racism. So, <laughs> classic Star Wars. Conjure Club? Conjure Club. Like, oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Although, we, we, do get, we, we do get somebody stranded at Scotland. Space From, Scotland. Yeah, Space Scotland. <laughs> um, yeah, or as my wife put it, he looks like the grown-up wrong Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, man. There are, there's a number of things like in that sequence that actually could be fun. Like I do think it's, it's nice to see Han Solo's back against the wall and mm-hmm. to see how he gets out of it. Except that, and here's my problem with so much, so much art about aging of characters you already know. I think there's a compelling story here. If Han Solo was slipping, if he used to be this sweet-talking smuggler who now can't do it anymore, I think that's an interesting story. I also think it could have been fun if he's better than he ever was. He's gotten better with age. This mm-hmm. gives you neither of those things. This shows him being bad at what he's at being bad in the situation, but it doesn't give you the impression that that this is a character trait. This is just a, you're catching him on a bad day, and to me, mm-hmm. that's not very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, this is at this point. I even wrote my notes. This is where I like looked at my phone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. That that that's a very. That that's a very good sign that you are past caring about something right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. So then, you know, after that, we we start to get a little bit more with Kylo Ren, and we get to to see sort of just how emotional he is. We see him just like take out part of the ship with his lightsaber because mm-hmm. he's because he's angry. And yeah. uh, you know, that's uh, the best moment in the film is when the tro- troopers just turn around and walk yeah, the other way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is good. Yeah, and uh, we get we get Han and Chewie taking everybody to Maz Kanata's, and here is where I will say, this is to me the first indication that they had no idea what they were doing with this um, series of films, because Maz Kanata, both the character. And like her, 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 not her setting because the, the castle is destroyed by the end of the scene. But like everything about her just screams interesting character that we should be seeing more of. Mm-hmm. And they don't, we don't, we see very little of her going forward. And I think that's, I think that's both on Ryan Johnson and on J.J. Abrams that we don't see more of Maz. I mm-hmm. really like that character, even though she's basically like yoda ish in a way but she's that's like she she's she's the she's new yoda but we just toss her to the side yeah um but yeah uh and we also begin to see here finn 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 in the beginning of the film has to rescue poe because he needs a way out of the first order and i think that 
the audience, and this is a clever bit of writing, I will say, from Abrams, Kasdan, and co., which is that I think the audience presumes once he breaks Poe out that he is supposed to be now fully invested in in the resistance. Mm-hmm. And I like that he's not. Throughout yeah. this entire film, Finn has one objective, which what, he has two. The first is to save himself, and the second is to save anyone who's ever been nice to him. So Poe and Ray, essentially. Mm-hmm. That that's it. And I, I think that this is I like this scene in Maz's castle or cantina or whatever we're calling it, because I think it it really highlights sort of how in for himself he Finn is here. Mm-hmm. And he I mean he doesn't care. He doesn't care about the first order anymore. He just wants to get far away and he wants to live his life in peace. And this is why, to me, we need the Canto Bite sequence in The Last Jedi, because the Canto Bite sequence is what shows him that you can be DJ and just look out for yourself, but when you believe in something, life is so much better. And yeah. to, to me, that's mm-hmm. why you need Canto Bite. And, and here... He doesn't get that. I actually think that Finn's arc over the first two movies is the most interesting because of all of this stuff mm-hmm. um, of those three characters. Yeah, because he is – this is something, too, that makes the sequel trilogy was always going to be difficult once they made the decision to keep the actors from the original trilogy because he's new Han Solo. But when old Han Solo is still there – it's weird when you have both ends of the character, but they don't interact in a way that makes real sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing his kind of coming to the resistance, not through falling in love with someone who is part of it, kind of where Han Solo fell in, um, but through really being a believer is a much more interesting story. Um, but it doesn't work as well for some of the other characters. Yeah. Yeah. This is the point where I saw thought of sort of, you know, we see Ray and Finn are both sort of thrown into this situation, um, you know, outside of their past lives. And they're just trying to find their places in the world by taking some kind of action. And, you know, we see Ray is sort of sticking to what she believes in um she's sticking with the resistance she doesn't seem she she wants to go back home obviously but you know she's sticking with what she believes is right but we do see finn sort of has a crisis um you know he is looking out for himself here Mm -hmm. Um, and we see a difference between the two of them here which i thought was interesting yeah and then we Go ahead, Matt. And the, are we going to talk about the scene in the basement? Yes. That is never really tied into anything ever again in a meaningful way. I, it just, I, I guess it's, um, Liz would know this better than I would, but is that the official, like, um, the hero's calling to um, Ray? Or I don't, or is that the challenge denied or the quest denied or I forget the exact parts of it. Yeah. Um, 
but it's weird and confusing because it never really it should be the beginning of her journey but it never really ends up into anything other than people just keep throwing the lightsaber to each other afterwards um but we never really pick up that story that real connection is never explored in a good way um and i know part of that is because we went in a different direction in the next movie but even when you know he got it back for the third one. We never filled that out. It feels very much like the um, chosen one storyline where it is super heavy and seems important in the moment and then never really amounts to anything. Here's my question for both of you. What do you think is actually happening in that scene? I think her force powers are being awakened um, not to like riff off the title, um, but from that moment on, we see her begin to understand her powers of the force. But again, that's kind of retconned almost to her powers are awakened by Kylo Ren because they are a diode. But I think initially it was supposed to be that, and this is a stretch. But her as someone who very, 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 very much could have been, should have been, may have been Luke's daughter touching the lightsaber awakened her Skywalker blood. Yeah, and I I think too, yeah, I think it maybe depends on kind of where they thought the story was headed. But I, I think I agree with Matt that in some sense, you know, her the force within her again, sorry about the title reference but you know, the force within her was awakened. Um, I, but I'm always, I, I don't know, but what she sees is always curious to me and it is very Luke Skywalker centered and obviously it is his lightsaber, but well, still it is except that you, you hear the voice of two actors mm-hmm. in that scene. One Obi-Wan. of which, is, yes. One of which is Alec Guinness. They took the word afraid and took Ray out of it, and that's how you get old Obi Wan saying Ray, and then you hear Ewan McGregor say, "These are your first steps." And to me, like Matt, I don't disagree with what you're saying that that sort of gets dropped a little bit, but I think that those are her first steps, and I think that what she's seeing is is she is. So we find out in the Last Jedi that Luke has cut himself off from the Force, right? That he he is no longer connected to the Force by his own choice. To me, this is Ray like plugging into the Force. And so, if you look at it that way, all the images that she sees are images of like the. I mean, you basically see when Luke cuts himself off from the Force. You you see his betrayal by Kylo Ren, or by Ben Solo rather. And then he he shuts himself off from the force, and I think that that's. I don't think J.J. Abrams knew that when this scene was written or filmed, but I think it's an interesting. It's almost like the force is catching her up, with like what's going on in the universe, mm-hmm. and I think that could be a really interesting thing. What bothers me is that I don't think. Like, this is pretty much the only place until their really shitty appearance in The Rise of Skywalker that we get any bits with the Knights of Ren. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel like that's such a wasted opportunity for so many reasons. We don't get any of that. I think it's really weird that we don't get any sort of discussion about... And we, we know about Ray's parents leaving, but the Ray's parentage is probably the worst handled thing in the entire new trilogy. Uh-huh. So that that's not really surprising. We don't get more of that. It just it this does feel like a wasted opportunity. But I really do love this scene because I do think yeah. that there's a lot of good stuff, sort of like in here. I just wish it was a little bit more clearly laid out. Yeah, because I mean it, it, and it shows. Oh man, and it's part of the problem too. Is that with the Ryan Johnson film, we see the night where, um the Knights of Ren turn on the um on Luke. No, we don't. No, I guess so we see the night where he tries to kill Ben, but then do the knights come back and destroy I don't I actually don't know this timeline now. Never mind. I thought I did. <laughs> because Luke tries to kill Ben. I think that's the night everything ben, goes down, right? Ben runs away and finds the Knights of Ren. The Knights of Ren are other Jedi, are other folks being trained. No. Uh, are they? I thought, and again. There's a comic book where they are led by an evil leader named Ren, who then, I, I, th- I think, again, they might have just stepped in it later on. But I get so does he like turn them that night and they kill the other students because there's very there's two very like standout scenes of the destruction of the academy is it there's the Luke watching it burn but in this one it's Luke in a field of dead students which right. is a different scene and I was confused by that I was thrown off I was remembering the scene that we see again and again from. Um, I guess the next film where he watches it burn. You're right, so, Matt. I, I, I'm reading on, on Wikipedia right now. Um, <laughs> I had thought that he had turned like other students against Luke. Mm-hmm. Well, that's book that watching the films it would lead you to believe that, but you know, I don't know. I think the Knights of Ren is something that was handled very poorly. Yeah, because it, it feels I like it, it it was foreshadowed and then had no payoff moving forward. What were you about to say, Liz? Yeah, I, I was going to say I feel like it was handled poorly because I, I you know, it, it's just very unclear on how they were or they came to be, and how they're really even involved in the timeline, um, except for I guess the last movie in some sense. Where they're just sort of nameless uh, guys in masks. Yeah. 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 But so here we see the First Order show up on Maz's planet. They're fucking mm-hmm. shit up. They um, they take <laughs> they take Ray, And this is what leads Han to go and see Leia for the first time. And we're not quite told how much time, but certainly a number of years. And this is where... Enough for 3PO to get a new arm. Yes, enough for 3PO <laughs> to get a new arm. And, of course, because it's Star Wars, there is a comic book story about that new arm. 
Uh, <laughs> is there really? There is, yes. Oh. Written by my one-time favorite comic book writer, James Robinson, who uh, is not my favorite comic book writer anymore. <laughs> because, because of the Red Arm story? No, no, because his, his skills just diminished greatly since the late 90s. Uh, huh. Which happens to the best of us. I can't, hmm. I can't blame him for that. Um, but yeah, so uh, you know, we see three PO again. We get a, we see that Poe is not dead. He was just thrown from the ship or something. Um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like this stuff should have prepared us for um, Palpatine's back somehow. Like no. this should have prepared us for that because Poe survives somehow. And then everything Han Solo says in the first, in the briefing that they have with the Resistance, everything he says is basically the thing that a lazy writer would say. Like, so it's the death. They're like, so there's this thing. It's like, so it's the Death Star. No, it's bigger. So it's bigger now. Like, he's just like, everything he says is just like a lazy, like, we'll blow it up. We always blow stuff up. We'll take care of it. Like, there, there's no. <laughs> it's really bad writing. This watching it this time, I was really disappointed with the with the writing of Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they have a plan to rescue Ray and to take down Starkiller Base. Uh, totally forgot that Ken Jung from not Ken Jung, um, Ken Leung from <laughs> Lost. <laughs> yes. Doctor <laughs> uh, Ken. Not Doctor Ken from Lost was was in this movie as one of the uh, resistance like scientists who then mm-hmm. we never see in subsequent films because I don't know um, how do they know that they're the target of Starkiller Base? Do they get a... like a like a message or something like that? How does that work? <laughs> yeah, you're next. <laughs> yeah, it's very it... strange. It's very strange. Uh, we then see Ray and Kylo Ren have their first real interaction. We see Kylo Ren try to get information out of Ray, but she is surprisingly real resilient. Real rapey. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, and, you know, we, we see her deny that. We also see uh, a, uh, we see her, and this is where, so I, I, I absolutely hate the discourse that Ray is, quote, a Mary Sue which is a shitty internet phrase for somebody who just like gets powers gifted to them without any training. I think that if you follow Ray's story for the most part, everything she does can be hand waved to the force, except Ray didn't Ray thought that Luke Skywalker was a myth like an hour before the scene. And yet she knows the Jedi mind trick is a thing. <laughs> like I I I I cannot yeah. even even me the Star Wars simp the Star Wars apologist like I I cannot come up with a with a rational way why she would know to try the Jedi mind trick like it's I could almost buy it if it was like a week later and she's tried everything <laughs> but mm-hmm. like you just you would never this wouldn't be anyone's first instinct. No. Or if she saw like Kylo Ren use it on someone. Sure. I mean, and again, if there's one thing we've seen in Star Wars is we've seen people introduced to the force a bunch of times and never is their first thing that they do 
fucking with people's minds. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, that's one of my big, like, my big nerd pet peeves here is, oh, well, she would have no idea how to do the Jedi mind trick. And, uh, <laughs> and whatever. But but um, she's part of the diode, so she immediately absorbs any of the knowledge that Kylo Ren has of the Force. You know, I almost buy that. Almost. Mm-hmm. But that diode idea is just so dumb, I can't really... I can't it's really, terrible. Uh, it's terrible. Buy into it. Yeah. Um, They're not the solo twins. It doesn't work like that. <sighs> so we get, uh, we see that the plan to get on the planet is actually a pretty fun one, which is like basically making the approach to land in light speed. That's that. That's a fun Star Warsy thing. Mm-hmm. I'm it cool is. with that. Right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Why not? It's it's fine. <laughs> um, and then this is where sort of the action ramps up. We we see Finn again, just basically say he's there for Ray. He does not care about the resistance, and we get one of the best lines in the movie because I think Harrison Ford actually delivers it well, which is like he says, "You were on sanitation. How are you planning on?" <laughs> On doing this, and he goes, uh, the, the force will help us. And Han Solo goes, That's not how the force works. And it's just like, it's a really, yeah. it's a really good line. And Harrison Ford delivers it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that, that I like. That, that's one way Han Solo has grown in his belief mm-hmm. in the force. Yes. And that's a great, I meant to mention that that's actually one of my favorite scenes in the film. The initial scene of, um, when Ray and Finn ask him about Luke mm-hmm. and he says, it's true. All of it, that, that scene, like, mm-hmm. which was, which was in the, it was in the second trailer. And when I saw that, I was like, Oh man, this shit is on. I was really <laughs> excited for that scene. Uh, it just, it just made so much sense to me to have him now become a believer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. J- just, just really good stuff. Really good stuff. Um, but so we get this whole rescue mission, and, and against the backdrop of this rescue mission, we should just say we haven't even talked about Leia yet, really. But you know, and, and Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams have said that like the way this was all plotted out, the Force Awakens was Han Solo's film, the Last Jedi was Luke's film, and the Rise of Skywalker was supposed to be Leia's film. And so I can't really get mad at the little that Leia has to do here, because I understand. They had big plans for Leia going forward, um, and I think that overall she's effective here. She, we see her, you know, she's she's General Leia Organa. She is mm-hmm. not princess. She is not Jedi. She is a general. She has she has fully embraced her adopted father's like civic responsibility. As you know, he he was an elected official. She's a military official, but just it's. I think it's a natural progression of the character. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, and Carrie Fisher, of all of the actors in this film, Carrie Fisher has acted the least since Star Wars. She has she has been more of a writer than an actor, and she also did a lot of damage to her body through substance abuse, and so she she sounds totally different. Like her voice. Yeah could not be more different than the last time we heard her speak in Return of the Jedi. And, um, but I think that she pulls it off. I think that she's able to tap into being Leia 
not just being Carrie Fisher. Do you guys agree with that? I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, she and- she is maybe the character I mind the least being recycled into this movie because it doesn't feel oddly forced. It feels like this would still be her fight. She would still be involved in this. And this is the way she would lead the battle. Because she's not just... um, Oh my gosh, what? Mon Mothma. Mm -hmm. She needs to be firmer. She needs to be more militant um, than her predecessors. And she is meeting the needs of the day. And I think that's really badass in a way that only Leia could be the badass of that day. Yeah, and it makes sense with her character from before, because even before she was leading um, and helping leading, helping to lead people into battle. So mm-hmm. it seems like it only makes sense that she would be a general now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Yeah, and Carrie Fisher does a good job. She does, yes. Uh, it's also, it, it should be noted that I think she's probably most different from Leia of all the <laughs> actors and their yeah. characters. Mm-hmm. And and so, like, I, I think it's a testament to her her ability to to be this way, to, to, to step back into this role. Um, the scene that she and uh, Harrison Ford share went, before Harrison Ford goes off to Starkiller Base, where they're kind of they're kind of flirting. They're kind of apologizing to each other. They're kind of making peace. And it ends with him just holding her against his chest. It's, it's, it's a very touching scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, if you think about, you know, the things, I mean, both of them and, you know, she has gone through in a sense, they've lost their son. Um, you know, it makes sense to change as they've gone through too. And the, and their brother in Luke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And probably the dream they had, certainly the dream Leia had of what the Republic would be like. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've lost a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, so so back to Starkiller Base, uh, we see Ray like, sneaking around and, uh, you know, just uh, evading the forces of the First Order. We see the, the Republic... Or the the rebellion, the resistance. Jesus Christ, too many R's. Uh, we, see, <laughs> we see the resistance getting their asses handed to them in the in the dogfights in space, and uh, we then we see Captain Phasma, one of the least effective villains in film history. Oh truly, my gosh! Truly, the rolls new over immediately. <laughs> yes. So disappointing. I had so such high hopes. Yeah. the The downfall of the First Order lays on her shoulders. Yes. Like, Starkiller Base would be A-OK had she not dropped the shields to save her shiny ass. It makes no sense for so many reasons. Um, I read the Captain Phasma book, which is not great. Let's just let me, let me, let's, let's start there. It's, it's not not the worst Star Wars book I've read, but, but not, not the best. And... I mean, Brian... We've read some of the Star Wars books with you. That's not saying anything. <laughs> Touche. Um, <laughs> but in that book, she is basically like, she's presented as the most ruthless member of the First Order. 
and that she has this chrome-plated armor made for her because she has just proven time and time again that she is the ultimate soldier. And here they're like, we're going to kill you. She's like, all right, fine. I'll do <laughs> yeah. this. Like, it just seems so against everything we've been told about the character. Uh, just yeah. either visually or through the little bit of media we got about the character. Yeah, and like Gwendolyn Christie was playing her. It just seemed like it was going to be such a good role. And then it was just... Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, she less is... than nothing. She is truly new Boba Fett, like in so many ways. Ooh. Um, yeah. That's what it is, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> but... Maybe let's, she'll get her own show in 10 years. I was going to say, let's hope that like 20 years down the road, Gwendolyn Christie yeah. gets to play like an awesome old beat to shit Captain Phasma <laughs> who somehow right. survived The Last Jedi. Fingers crossed. She did also fall into a pit. She did. <laughs> she did. She, yeah. Yeah. In it's a fun. scene I don't fully understand the physics of. Well. <laughs> it's space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say Star Wars physics is notoriously bad. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um but yeah, so uh I you know, we're we're getting to the to the end game here. We see our heroes reunited. They are now the, the they're escaping, but they recognize that there was the resistance getting their asses handed to them. And so Han Solo, in another not very Han Solo way decides to go back and plant those explosives. I understand that Han Solo has consistently shown up for the good guys and save the day, but it, it, it just seems to me like he usually struggles with it a little bit more or has like, I don't know. It just, it just didn't, it didn't ring true. It should have been that Ray or Finn said, we have to go back. And then Han like begrudgingly admits that. But for him to be like, hey, we got these explosives. Let's go back. It just doesn't seem like Han Solo, does it? No, it does not. I mean, I mean, considering they're also half a day's walk away from the base at the time where they make that decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, luckily, they're on a base the size of a planet where every one they need and every important point they need is at the same spot. So. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but so they go back in. When they go back in, they encounter Kylo Ren, and we see the scene where Kylo Ren meets his father. Now, for all the shit I gave Harrison Ford earlier in this film, and the writing about Harrison Ford, I actually think this scene is excellent. Mm -hmm. Do you guys agree with that or no? I think this is the bravest Star Wars on film gets is this scene. I agree with that for sure. In what sense? In where you see an actual dramatic moment, it leaves you with a question of really of, you know, this, this can't really happen. We can't lose this. And you actually lose something and someone you care about despite, you know, losing nameless hundreds of millions of people earlier in the film. Like, there's an actual loss and a moment that is gut wrenching and just a real, real um, sad moment that isn't a hand force because an actress died. Um, it's sure. something that is actually well written, well set up, and serves to both show how much a father's 
love goes and how depraved a son's lust for evil has to be to be there in that moment and meet right there in just the most unfortunate circumstance. Um, And it's much deeper and much darker and much more complex than I think Star Wars is at any other moment in the films, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, I I agree with what Matt said. And I'll say that the first time when I saw this movie, the first few times I saw it, I, I feel like this... I didn't have the emotional reaction I wanted to at this scene. Um, And I don't know if it speaks to the writing we were talking about before, or just maybe where I was at that point in time. Um, But when I watched the scene last night, I, I did feel more emotional than I had when I'd seen it prior. Um, And for the reasons, you know, Matt mentioned, um, and just because, you know, and it is, it's a brave thing, I think, for Star Wars to do. Also, just, you know, killing Han Solo, though I think we all know maybe Harrison Ford wanted out. Um, and, you know, having his own son kill him um, is an emotional way to do so. Um, and I, And I think it adds so much more to Kylo Ren's character as well. Um, you know, and if we think about the mistakes we make, um, you know, I think it adds more to his character. Um, yeah. Yeah. And And I I, like to say that I feel real bad. I I feel the worst for Chewie in that moment. Every time. I I want to talk about that in a minute. (laughs) We see them together all the time. That's, that's who we know. Those are the two people we know. And like, you know, we just met Kylo Ren. We just met Ben Solo, but we've known Chewie for, you know, our entire lives. But not only that, I somebody had drawn a, a comic strip right when this came out of Chewbacca with young Ben Solo on his shoulders mm. and then playing together and then uh. him having to shoot him. Uh. And just how, how horribly sad that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. But so uh, I, I want to say a couple of things about this scene. This is one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars. Um, I think I've mentioned this in the show before. This movie came out in December of 2015. My son, Ben, was born in uh, February of 2016. So Aaron was very pregnant at this time. And we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, but we knew if it was a boy, it would be Ben. And then to hear Harrison Ford yell Ben, like, it shook me to my core. I was like, what the fuck? It really, it, uh, it totally emotionally, like... It made an already emotional scene even more emotional because mm-hmm. I heard the name of my son in there. You know, it just it was it was deep, man. Um, but I also feel like I, brave is not the word I would have used for this scene, and I I I am not trying to argue with you guys. I think yeah. that you I think you made your point very very well with that actually, and I'm more convinced of the bravery now than I would have ever been for it. But I think that, like, one of the knocks on this film, and it's true, but I think it's true to different degrees than people say it is, is that this is very much a, 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 an homage to A New Hope. And Han Solo is the Ben Kenobi character in this movie. And just like 
the student destroys the master in A New Hope, the student has to destroy the master here in a way. And so if you had asked me before the film which character doesn't survive, I would say oh, Han Solo is going to die in this movie, like 100%. Mm-hmm. I, and so for that, because it was so expected, brave is not the word that I would use. I'm, again, I, I think you guys made a good point for that. No, that's just that's not, fair. How, not how I would have categorized it. But I, th- when I was watching it, I thought it would be really brave, really ballsy if they turned Kylo Ren to the light in the, at the end of the first movie because everybody expected him to be the Darth Vader of the trilogy. And if if the trilogy wasn't about redeeming Ben, it was about Ben joining with his parents again and trying to make something better. Like to me that's just that's a way more unexpected story. If and Ben interesting. And and as when you it, next time you watch this movie, watch it with the idea that Ben is going to turn. Mm-hmm. Because he he certainly plays it up that he might. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, you know, something I have to do. I, just, I don't know if I can do it. And in that scene, you see Harrison Ford believe he's he's doing it. Mm-hmm. He believes he's doing Leia says, bring our son home. And he believes he's doing it. And I think it's a really... I think that would have been a braver move, even if it's, even if it's, it doesn't add to the complexity of the character as much. Like I, I do think, I do agree with you guys there. That like, what makes Kylo Ren so interesting as a character is that we see him kill his father, and we're still sympathetic towards him. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Kylo Ren is is probably up until Rise of Skywalker again, the character <laughs> that we that we struggle the most with our feelings about. Mm-hmm. And even like Darth Vader, it's not until Return of the Jedi that you have the smallest bit of sympathy for Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And the sympathy for Kylo Ren is built, is baked in almost from the beginning of the story. And um, so, yeah, watching that scene, I really thought for a second, are they... I, I didn't think... I thought, they're not going to do this, but what if... What if they did turn him? What if mm-hmm. what if this and to me that's a to me that's the easiest way to make this not a carbon copy of the original trilogy. But obviously yeah. they didn't do that. No. Um but Harrison Ford does a really good job in this scene. Um the 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 bit of him just touching Ben's face before he falls is really mm-hmm really heart-wrenching yeah yeah and we're we're gonna talk about how the other films have kind of molded and shaped this a little bit but i do think that this is one of the scenes that is in my opinion very much undercut by rise of skywalker yes like i hate that they then had to redux it um for no reason but we'll talk about that more in a minute yeah um, so anything else to say about this scene, Liz? No. All right. So we get uh, the the heroes Sans Han uh, escape. We see uh, an encounter between Kylo Ren, Finn, and Rey uh, 
on the on the on Starkiller base, like outside. And this is the beginning of the Kylo Ren that I really enjoy watching. I love him like beating on his wound to have blood come out. Mm-hmm. It's such a sadistic, fucked up thing to do that really gives you a good sense of who this character is. I like the way he talks to both Finn and Ray in this scene. I mean, he's a total asshole, but but I think that he's I think you understand his motivations by this point in the film really well. Um it's just it's just a really good scene and we this is some of the best lightsaber fighting we've got not like from a technical like, you know, I think we can all say the Duel of the Fates is like the best mm-hmm. technical lightsaber fight we ever got. And I think that the initial Luke uh, Vader from Empire is probably still my favorite lightsaber duel we get. But I mm-hmm. think that this one is one of the more emotional ones and is just it's, it's, a, it's an excellent, excellent scene. Uh, mm-hmm. We also see Ray like fully embrace the force here, both by like force grabbing the lightsaber away from Kylo Ren and then, yes, there's that great moment where he has her pinned and she has the lightsaber like to her temple and she hears the force theme or we rather we hear the force theme and mm-hmm. then she comes back uh, and defeats him. That scene, by the way, is the reason I was convinced she was a Kenobi, because mm-hmm. in uh, A New Hope, when we hear the force theme, not for the first time. But we hear it on the Death Star when Obi-Wan holds the lightsaber to his temple, mm-hmm. his forehead rather, and then he surrenders himself to the Force. And so I thought that was just like a musical cue to say, oh, she's a Kenobi. This is how you should know that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I mean, could have been. Could've I wish been. I wish it was. <laughs> yes. I, I actually think that the Ryan Johnson, she's a nobody is the best answer. I agree. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole other story. Um, so then she defeats Kylo Ren. She picks up Finn. And brings him back to uh, the Falcon, where Chewie brings him home. Uh, the coldest scene in any Star Wars movie happens next, which is where we see the heroes come back and they're <laughs> celebrating. And we see Chewbacca and Rey get off of the Millennium Falcon. And Chewbacca and Leia don't even look at each other, even uh. though the most important person in both of their lives has just been <laughs> murdered. They just, They just... Walk right past each other, and she goes over to Ray, who's known Han for like fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I... and they hug forever. Yes, they do. I could totally understand if they try and imply that Chewbacca is too too broken up to uh, to talk to her if he just like waved her off, um, mm-hmm. but he doesn't do that. They just walk yeah, past each other. I. I... I wonder the mental capacity of Chewbacca. This is the same guy who, again, helped Yoda, but when he's introduced to the Force, he's like, I don't know what that is. I mean, to be fair, we he reacts to Han's death in a very primal way. He reacts mm-hmm. to Leia's death in a very primal way. Yeah, um, maybe he's maybe he's like my dog, right? We just keep assigning him. Higher level, <laughs> yes, thinking than he really has. We've anthropomorphized Chewbacca to the point <laughs> where, uh... um, yeah. But you know, we do get a nice Chewbacca scene where he's being like, um, he's being stitched up by some by some <laughs> medic, 
and she's uh, face, she's like flirting with him. Very... <laughs> she's like, wow, very brave. Exactly, yeah. What? <laughs> it's very strange. It doesn't really ser- sol- serve any purpose, but I, but I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. I, I like that scene. It's yeah. fun enough. And then we see R two D two wake up out yep. of out of his yep. slumber. He hey sh- bitches, let's move this story forward. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and then he uh, he pops he pops open that map. BB eight pops the map into there. Boom! Instant Luke Skywalker. We see Ray and R two and Chewbacca get into the Falcon and go to a planet we will now know as Octu, and we see Rey climbing the steps and meeting Luke Skywalker who is um, he just looks he looks old is the best way to describe it. he looks old and he looks tired and to me it's one of the best cliffhangers in movie history mm-hmm. her hand extended with a lightsaber for Luke and uh, oh man, <sighs> what a beautiful ending to the film! Again, we get okay. the Force theme, one of my favorite pieces of music in history, just hanging there as she is holding out the lightsaber. It's great. Yeah, agreed. All right. Never forget, Mark Hamill had to sit through that photo op uh, table read. Yes. <laughs> just. just... <laughs> Just for a line that says it looks into Ray's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> um so let let's now just pivot to how the film is in light of the other two films. So one of the things that everybody with a with a pulse has pointed out since these films came out is that it was clear that there was no like overarching plan for these movies that they were going to give each director more or less carte blanche to tell their story. I'm I'm sure I'm oversimplifying that. I'm sure there are things that each director wanted to do that the Lucasfilm Mm. story group said, no, we're not going to do that. But for the most part, they let Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams make their own films. And so there's a lot of discussion about how The Last Jedi undoes some of the stuff from The Force Awakens. I am a huge Last Jedi mark, and I will admit that, but I don't really see a lot of stuff that gets undone from this film. I see a lot of stuff that gets built on from this film, and I think that the biggest thing, like there are people out there who really, really don't like who Luke has become in The Last Jedi. But I think that Luke and the Last Jedi is basically implied by this movie. As I watched this movie, Han says that, you know, Luke had a pupil that that turned against him. He blamed himself and he went into exile. How different is that than what we get in The Last Jedi? Yeah, that's the thing is it seems like all of the information we get here about Luke leads us to where he is and who he is in The Last Jedi. He's missing. He's he's hiding for a reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I think that the, the Last Jedi is is again. I think it's the the second best Star Wars movie ever made after Empire Strikes Back. I th- I also think it's it's the one that 
it, that takes the most chances in a lot of ways. Um, in in terms of both its storytelling, and in the just in the story, it both in the way it tells a story and what the story it's telling is. It's it's really, it really it really takes a lot of risks. And mm -hmm. um, but but watching this movie, I I think all that I really can say from the Last Jedi's perspective is. I think that it makes the strongest parts of this movie stronger. And I think it makes the weaker parts of this movie sort of go away. Yeah. I th yeah. Rewatching it, the, the part that it doesn't really pick up and carry is the idea of, you know, who is Ray. And I think a lot of the buildup in this movie is just really awkward. That it never it, it's all about the girl, the girl, the girl, and then you're like, obviously she's like the main character, cool. But the movie lends nothing to her character, and I don't. I think any way they went with it would have left people upset, um, whether it be Obi Wan's daughter, Luke's daughter. Um, long lost twin of you know ben or you know nobody i don't think there was a good answer it set the question up so strong that there was no really good answer um i think they somehow came up with the worst answer um but i, I don't think any way that that went moving forward would have been satisfying yeah i i, I was telling both of you before we started recording that after my week this week is pretty free. So after I watched this movie last night, I continued and watched The Last Jedi. And, you know, it, when Kylo Ren tells Rey that her parents are nobodies um, in The Last Jedi, you know, it, it works, um, I think. And it builds upon what The Force Awakens... I, sets up or even doesn't set up it doesn't really say you know too much about her parents here we get virtually no information a lot of the characters don't even ask her her name until they know her for a while or don't ask her her name at all um and you know i i, I think that's something um the last jedi handles well from the force awakens in terms of ray's parentage and in terms of her searching for that as well um, you know, trying to find the answer. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I really like The Last Jedi, too. It's a movie I really enjoy. Um, and after watching The Force Awakens, just at the end, I wrote, you know, a perfectly fine movie. You know, I like The Force Awakens. There are some parts I don't, you know, love. Um, and I, I feel like it's, you know, it was a hopeful movie for me to watch. Um, you know, Star Wars was back, finally, after all this time. Um, and, you know, there were new characters I liked, and I think they were built upon well in The Last Jedi. And I liked Luke's story in The Last Jedi. Um, I know not everyone did, but mm -hmm. I, I liked it. I mean, to me, Luke's story in The Last Jedi, if it didn't include the last scenes we see of him, I could understand it. But, again, this is, this is the hill I will die on with Star Wars. 
the only time after the Death Star that Luke ever succeeds, he succeeds because he chooses not to he chooses to be nonviolent. He mm-hmm. can keep fighting Vader and Empire, he chooses to fall down that shaft instead of fight Vader. He can he can overthrow Vader and become the Emperor's pupil, he throws away his lightsaber. And here, in The Last Jedi, he chooses to not fight Kylo Ren, to let Kylo Ren fight himself, and gives his life in doing so. It's the perfect ending to the Luke Skywalker story. I agree. Um, well, yeah. let, so, sorry, Matt, go ahead. No, no, I, no I, I, I agree with that. Let's shift ahead to The Rise of Skywalker for a second. Um, yeah. It's, <sighs> it is amazing to me that these two films were directed by the same person. Yeah. I, and I know how Rise of Skywalker is, um, like, what it is known for is undoing um, Last Jedi, mm-hmm. but in so many ways undoes this film. But the more I watch it, the more I realize maybe it's not even intentional. I think it just shits the bed so hard that it just ruins everything it touches. <laughs> through its just arbitrary nature um, of almost a dice roll as to where the story goes, it just pollutes everything moving backwards from it. Um, and that, that That's what I was watching. Like, you, you're undoing your own film. It's yeah. not like you're trying to skip over Last Jedi. You're just, you're just doing weird shit. Yeah, and again, they... under undercutting the scene on the bridge where, like, it's the the Harrison Ford like I killed your dad. And he's like, I oh, know. It's like, what is that shit? <laughs> Come on. Um, I it just really, it not only invalidated, you know, the two movies before it. It just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it was like a reboot of the reboots at this point. Because it certainly didn't add um, anything to the story. It felt like someone had a list of things they wanted to address. And they <laughs> yeah. had to be addressed somehow. Yeah, more like a festivist list of grievances than anything else. Oh, so. nice. That's right. Yes. Someone get the poll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I, I completely agree with that. Um and- Going back to watch The Force Awakens, it made me sad because I feel like there was so much hope here. And I feel like it stood out really for me, especially with Finn. Like, I really enjoy Finn in The Force Awakens. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry, in The Force Awakens. Um, and then again in The Last Jedi. And then I, he's just so underserved in The Rise of Skywalker. And I feel like his story is sort of stunted in some way. Yeah. As I feel was... every, everyone's story gets cut short. Yeah, it does. As I was thinking about The Rise of Skywalker today, I, I posed myself a question, which is that I had presumed, incorrectly it turns out, that they would kill Leia off camera. And that the film would either begin with Leia's funeral or have a big time jump and Leia's been dead a little while. And I know that's not like Star Wars to do that, but I think if they didn't have to shoehorn Leia in, the film would have made so much more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Would have had any Kelly Marie Tran, but you know, 
Mm. Well, maybe you could have given her something to actually do instead of just you know be late. <laughs> Delete all of her scenes. Just one line, one line only. Yeah. yeah, I know, and I had such high hopes for Leia's role, and you know just what could have been possible for her in that movie, and then it was just you know forces beyond our control. But yeah, the way she was involved in the rise of Skywalker was not. It, it didn't really help the story out much. No, it yeah. did not. Um, I also feel like one of the things that J.J. Abrams was good about in The Force Awakens is that he didn't do cameos for cameos' sake. Like there are de- there are almost more Star Wars cameos in The Mandalorian than there are in the Rise in the uh, Force Awakens, mm-hmm. and I feel like The Rise of Skywalker. He's like shit. Got to use Lando. Got to use Wedge. Got to like. There's just. You got to bring back Palpatine. There's just there's this like there's this real <laughs> pull to to bring back characters we know and love, and I feel like almost nobody's comment after the Last Jedi was there wasn't enough old characters. Mm-hmm. Like everybody wants, I think everybody wanted more F- Finn, Poe, and Ray stories, mm-hmm. and we didn't get that. So that's yeah. a well, that's the wild part about the whole concept of. You know, each movie being one of the original characters. Then why'd you add in new fucking people then? Well, I mean, I, I, I to, to defend that idea a little bit, I think that when you look at the prequel trilogy, in a way, each of the prequel trilogies is about a different Jedi. Like, what, the first one's about Qui-Gon, the second one's about Obi-Wan, and the third one's about Anakin. That's oversimplifying it quite a bit. But I guess. The, I guess I try to block out Anakin from the <laughs> films, but I could I could see where that argument can be made. You know how there's like there's just there's usually like a spotlight character who mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the like with the exception of Anakin in uh Revenge of the Sith, Qui-Gon nor Obi-Wan are the main characters in those films. Mm-hmm. But they sort of act as like the the guiding forces yes yes okay 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 and i also also think that while all three of those actors were still alive if you didn't include them there would have been hell to pay yeah yeah um so i think all of us sort of feel the same about this movie it's a good movie it's fine it's fun it it did a lot of good stuff it did some stuff not so well but it feels really unres. I think that both due to Ryan Johnson taking it in a different direction, which I approve of, and because of J.J. Abrams just totally shitting the bed on the last one, this movie feels in a way like it's all undelivered promises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Last, yeah. Last thing I want to say, did you guys happen to see what Mark Hamill posted on social media today? Yes, I saw it because you retweeted it. <laughs> did you see it, Matt? Yes, I did. Yes, okay, I did. So for those who didn't see, he somehow found a gas station called Tashi Station, and he <laughs> was holding up a power converter in front of it. And he said, like, <laughs> finally cross it off the list or something like that. And God bless Mark Hamill. He's the best. We don't deserve him. Yeah, he's, he's, he's having amazing. fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just having fun. So... All right. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Um, I think it's going to be 
you know, I, I, I foresee us doing this in two years with The Last Jedi. Five years later, mm-hmm. I am really interested to see where we feel, how we feel about Rise of Skywalker mm-hmm. in what will, I guess, be uh, four years from now. Me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, we'll see you in a few weeks. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Always.